Um, my name is Wandile. I'm part of the student ministry. Uh, today we're going to be reading Romans 12, 1 to 8. Romans 12, 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a spiritual worship. Do not be comforted, comfort, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, as I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, in, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one of another, having gifts that offer according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teachings, the one who exhausts in his exhaustations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Good evening, family. Uh, thanks, Wandi, for the Bible reading. Um, my name is Raphael. For those who do not know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church Midrand. And this evening, it's my greatest privilege to be opening God's Word for us. If you are here for the very first time, a uh, warm welcome to you. We are delighted that you could join us this evening, and we'd love to get to know you uh, after the service. Uh, so, warm welcome to you. So this evening, uh, as uh, David mentioned earlier, uh, we start or we continue in our series in in Romans. Um, you remember last year we started this series. Uh, Reggie and David did a couple of sermons in Romans, and if you miss some of the talks, you can still go to the website and you'll catch uh, some of uh, the talks that were done last year uh, on our church website. Um, but if there's anything that you need to remember. Um, there was a great summary that David and Reggie put together regarding this series, and this is what they said. Um, when you look at the book of the Romans, this is a summary that they gave us. God is gathering a new humanity, which are Jews and Gentiles, under King Jesus, empowers them by his spirit to be agents of change in this broken world as they await its renewal and the renewal of their bodies. I think this is a great summary that they put for us for the book of Romans. Um, God is gathering a new humanity, Jews and Gentiles, under King Jesus, empowers them by his spirit to be agents of change in this broken world as they await its renewal and the renewal of their bodies. So this evening, we just continue the series as we look at the first two verses of chapter 12. That's what we'll be looking at. And I'll read that for us again. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by its by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's bow our head and pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've been doing throughout history. Um, we thank you for Jesus, who, who is uh, the culmination of your plan to save us. We thank you because he came into this world and he died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you because only through him we can be part of your family. Only through him we can meet as brothers and sisters. And because of what he has done, we can meet on a day like this, on an evening like this. So we want to say thank you, Lord, for redeeming us. And as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you'll open our heart, you'll open our mind, you'll speak through us, uh, through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I praise your servant that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It is obvious that chapter 12 of Romans comes after chapter 11, isn't it? <laughs> Same as chapter 10 comes after, uh, chapter 11 comes after chapter 10. So from chapter 1 to chapter 11 in this book of Romans, Paul has been setting the ground as he lays down the foundation and explains to the Romans what this gospel is all about. You see, one cannot apply the gospel in their life if they don't understand what this gospel is. Think about this. When builders start to build a house, and I remember seven, eight years ago when we were building the admin block, you see the, gr- uh, the ground staff when they were digging. So they were really careful in the way they were digging, trying to level the surface, and just to make sure that the measurements, they are all fine. These guys, they spend time into digging, into making sure everything is according to the plan. The depth, the length, the height. And after that, they could lay down the foundation of the building. And I remember at each corner, they, leave, they left space uh, where the uh, pillars would be built, you know, and then the concrete was poured in. So all this they did to make sure that once the building starts, the foundation is solid. Because it doesn't matter how, your ha- how beautiful your house looks. If the foundation is not solid, your house will not stand long. And so this, this is basically what Paul is, is doing here. From chapter 1 to chapter 11, he is explaining what this gospel is all about. So he spent 11 chapters trying to tell us what this gospel about Jesus is all about. He's explaining to believers in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, who now he calls his brothers because of what Jesus has done. He's telling them what God has done through Jesus. 
He's telling believers in Rome and us today what this gospel is all about. He is laying the foundation before he tackles the application of this gospel from chapter 12 to chapter 16. Because if the gospel is misunderstood, if we don't understand what the gospel is all about, of course we will not know how to apply it in our day-to-day life. Or we will apply it in the wrong way. And you can see some misunderstanding about the gospel. I'll just give two of them. Some people in Rome, you know, they will tell you that for them to be Christians or for them uh, to live the gospel is to keep the Ten Commandments as if it's a list, you know, of do's and don'ts that one has to do. And you see the danger with that, if for you to understand that the gospel is all about the Ten Commandments, you become more legalistic and linked to what the Jews were thinking, that the practice of circumcision, adding to that, would qualify them to be in God's good book, was just misleading. So Paul addressed this issue in chapter 2, verse 17 and chapter 3. Paul tells them that they fail to practice the law that they proclaim. So circumcision has no value if you can't keep the law, says Paul. And we all know that no one is able to keep the law. He reminds the Romans that no one is righteous and no one seeks God. That's our default setting. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another misunderstanding. Other will tell you that it doesn't matter how they live their lives. They can do whatever they want and God will forgive them. Because God is full of mercy. He's he's a gracious God. Of course God is a God of mercy. But these people misunderstood what grace is all about. And when you read chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So these were some of the misunderstandings that were happening there. But what does he say about the gospel? What is this gospel all about? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. So Paul is saying here that this gospel, it's a message. It's a good news coming with the power of God that brings people to salvation. And it is for everyone who believes. You turn to chapter 5, verse 6 and 6 up to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul is now giving the content of the gospel. This good news is about Jesus Christ. Our condition before God, what does he say? It's powerless. We are sinful people. We rejected God. Verse Uh, Chapter 1, verse 31, it says, We were heartless. Chapter 1, verse 32, We were approving of evildoers. Chapter 1, verse 8, We were haters, arrogant and boastful, full of envy and strife. That That was us. And we deserved God's wrath and judgment. But God, in his love, he sent the perfect, sinless, Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that we can live 
through him, through Jesus. Jesus took your punishment. He took my punishment upon himself. He offers us a new life. That's what Jesus does for us. And this is grace. Undeserved favor. So grace is not just, as I always say, the beautiful name of your aunt. It is undeserved favor from God. Something that you and me do not deserve. We do not deserve God's rescue, but he has rescued us in spite of us. We cannot save ourselves by obeying a set of laws. But God, through Jesus, has given us new life and adopted us into his own family. Maybe you are sitting here this evening and grace is a foreign language for you. And you struggle to grasp what Jesus has done for you. Our society tells us there is nothing for Mahala. You are like, really, did Jesus just die for me for nothing? You struggle with that, with that idea of grace that Jesus has died for you. Paul is trying to remind us that we were in the opposition team. We were sinners. We were rebelling against God. Yes, Jesus died for us. He gave up his life for you. You see, you, we may have people that we love so dearly and who might have told, uh, told us that, you know, they will give their lives for us. Or maybe we ourselves have told people that, that we love that we will give our lives for them. It's good. We need to cherish those people because they are close to us and they love us. But our death on their behalf or their death on our behalf will never put us right with God. Our death on, on their behalf, their death on our behalf will mean nothing before God. Why? Because we are sinners. How can a sinner save another sinner? We have all fought short of the glory of God. Only Jesus' death was sufficient to reconcile us to God the Father because he was sinless. He died for you, he died for me, he died for our sins. You don't have to do anything. You just need to embrace him to accept the offer that he is offering you, saying that just trust in me as the one who died for your sins. All right, having understood this message of the gospel, what this gospel is all about, from chapter 1 to chapter 11, now chapter 12 makes sense where it fits in in this letter that Paul is writing to believers in Rome. So from chapter 12 to chapter 16, Paul is now applying the gospel that he has been explaining. How do we live a Christian life? When Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, this word, therefore, what is he therefore? Well, it is referring us 
to what he has been saying from chapter 1 to chapter 11. And what has he been talking about? He's been talking about his gospel, about God's mercy, about God's grace to us. It's about God's great goodness to us. So when Paul speaks of God's mercy, this is what he has in mind. Few uh, verses that can help us. You know, chapter 2, verse 4, he speaks of God's kindness and forbearance to us. Chapter 9, verse 22, or 11, 22, he speaks about God's patience towards us. Chapter 5, verse 5, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 35, 39, he speaks about God's love to us. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 6, verse 14, he speaks about God's love to us. Or God's grace to us. So when he speaks about God's mercy, these are the things that Paul is trying to, to convey to these believers. And he said, in light of all that God has done for us through Jesus, through his sign, in light of his mercies, how must we live then? That's the question. What does it mean to practically have experienced God's mercies? So Paul is urging us to live differently. Basically, Paul is answering the question, how do I live the gospel in my day-to-day life? As I said earlier on, our focus this evening is the first two verses of chapter 12. And these two verses explain how the gospel affects my life as I offer myself for Christ as a living sacrifice. Our passage, verses 1 and 2, is basically Paul's appeal to believers to surrender completely to Jesus. And that surrender is on the basis of what God has done through Jesus. This is what he's been explaining from chapter 1 to 11. And this appeal has a tone of obligation. It's an appeal with a tone of obligation. We are to think of what Christ has done for us, and as a response, we have to surrender to him. This surrender, which produces a new lifestyle, is a result of salvation. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit that lives within believers. Three points will help us uh, to make sense of this Two verses of chapter 12. First of all, we'll look at the nature of this surrender. What's the nature of this surrender? Second, we'll look at the requirements of this surrender. And lastly, we'll look at the results of this surrender. Nature, requirements, and results. First of all, the nature of the surrender. And the question, what does this surrender to Jesus consist of? Well, the nature of this surrender is found in the last verse of, first of, of, of verse 1, the last half of verse 1. What does it say? To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because God has made this sacrifice through Jesus, a sacrifice that reconciles you and me to him, grace of God, his mercy, Therefore, Paul is saying, present your body as a living sacrifice. 
And by body, Paul means everything that we are. Remember during Paul's time, there was this Platonic thought. Plato was one of the philosophers. And the thought that was dominating was among the Greeks, the, the Gentiles, it was said that your body does not matter. It's just a tomb in which the human spirit was imprisoned and people longed for escape of the spirit from the body. So you can imagine when Paul is telling now these people to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. First of all, these people, for them, the body doesn't matter. But Paul is saying, your entire body matters. God does not need any more any dead sacrifice. He wants my life. He wants your life 24-7. He wants a total surrender to him, which is reasonable because it derives from understanding of what God has done through Christ. This is your act of worship. And I like uh, Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose of Driven Life. When he speaks of worship, he says, worship is everything that puts a smile into the face of God. So worship is a 24-7 lifestyle. Whether you are cooking, whether you are walking, whether you are studying, whether you are working, if you are doing it with thankfulness to God, you are worshiping God. And even, even when you are listening to a boring sermon, if you are listening to it with a thankfulness to God, you are worshiping God. You see, I cannot say that within me I love God, but you must not look at what I do with my body because my body doesn't matter. It matters what I do with my body. In fact, you cannot worship God without your body. How, how will you worship God without your body? Think about it. So this call to surrender, it applies to everyone. It applies to you as a lawyer person. It applies to me as a pastor. It applies to a lawyer. It applies to everyone. We are all called to worship God, to offer our body as a living sacrifice to God. It's not just for a group of people. It's for all of us who have been redeemed by Jesus. Sam Shoemaker said this, To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. I'll say it again. To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. And Paul is telling us that we surrender to Jesus because we understand his mercy upon us. And the more we understand what he has done for us, the more we want to live for him, the more we want to give our lives for him. The more we understand the sacrifice that he did on our behalf on that cross, the more I want to live for him. How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his son, his only son,
to make a rich his treasure. That's how much he has loved us. That's how much God loves you and me. How do I present my body as a living sacrifice? How do I surrender to Jesus? Well, we all know that we struggle to completely surrender to Jesus in our lives. Wouldn't it make a difference each day, as long as it's called today, when you wake up in the morning to frankly tell God, God, these are my eyes. Help them to look to you and please guard them. God, these are my lips. I don't want to say things that will dishonor you, but let them glorify you. Guard my lips. God, these are my ears. Let me hear you first before everything else. Guard my ears. God, these are my hands, these are my feet. Use them for your glory. Guard them. It's a prayer that we can all make each and every day, which helps us to surrender, to give ourselves to God completely. So first of all, the nature of this surrender. The second, the requirements of this surrender. What does this surrender to Jesus require? Well, let's look again at the first half of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here again, we have two commands. First of all, one is negative and the second one is positive. The negative one, do not be conformed to this world. The positive one, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The truth is, it's not easy for us. Well, let me say, it is so easy for us to be conformed to this world. There are so many good things around us. And the difficulty is that we find it hard to acknowledge that we are conforming to this world. This world has defined its values, which are really incompatible with God's values. Think about this. The world around me tells me that, you know, one can lie as long as it gets them out of trouble and no one gets hurt. It is the norm. But surrendering to Jesus tells me the opposite. I should not lie. The world around me tells me that, you know, we can be friends with benefits, we can have sex, we can, as long as no one is hurt. But surrendering to Jesus tells me that sex is within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. The world around me tells me that I need to, if I need to be successful and gather a lot of money, and whoever comes my way in the process is my enemy. Well, surrendering to Jesus tells me that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and I should not love money. So I remember growing up, there was this one movie that I used to watch. I forgot the title. Um, 
But it was about this man who had his family, his wife, and his child, and then he was attacked by his rivals. I'm pretty sure many people have seen that movie. So they killed his wife and his child, and they left him half dead. And that man vowed to find the killers and kill them. And each and every time, whenever I used to watch that movie, I could not wait to see when this guy finally gets these guys who killed his family and finish them. You know, it kind of, you know, gave me joy, you know. <laughs> and I was telling you, you know, we, justice is done. We all want justice to be done. You see how our culture can influence us. You know, we, we, we are really longing for that. It must happen now. He must find them. He must kill them. They must pay for what they did. You see, we are not to be conforming to this world. We are to be thinking biblically because surrendering to Jesus tells me that vengeance is the Lord's. It's not mine. So he's the one who will make sure justice is done. And of course, it is hard to be thinking biblically in the world that we live. Paul is telling us we are to resist the trend of this world. We are navigating against the waves. That is why Paul tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And the word transformed here that is used, the same that the gospel writers use in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2 and Mark chapter 9 verse, verse 2, when Jesus was transfigured, it's the same word, being transformed. And you can see the way it is used, be transformed. The voice of the verb is passive, the mood is imperative. It's as if Paul is telling us, be available to what is being done to you. And of course, what is being done to us is the work of the Holy Spirit. So the renewal of the mind is done by the Holy Spirit through the teaching of God's word. How often do we pray and ask God to let the Holy Spirit continually transform us in the likeness of Jesus? Or maybe the question is, what do we feed our mind and our hearts with? You see, if we don't meet regularly with God's people, either on Sunday or weekly life groups and Bible study, where God's word is being faithfully opened, if we don't read God's word, if we don't spend time reading God's word, how can we hope for a continual transformation? Surrender to Jesus requires us to say no to the values of this world and yes to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. No and yes together. It's not just saying no and you don't say yes to the transforming or say yes and you then say no to the value of this world. It's yes and no, all of them together. That's what Paul is telling us. Finally, the result of the surrender. So first of all, we looked at the nature of the surrender. Second, we look at the requirement. Finally, the result of the surrender. What does this surrender to Jesus produce? Second half of verse 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul is telling us is that a life that is surrendered to Jesus will perceive and delight in the will of God. Once you discern the will of God in your life, you will see that it is good, it is perfect, and it receives full acceptance. I don't know where you are at in your life. I don't know the struggle that you are going through. But all I can tell you is that if you surrender to Jesus, just as Paul is appealing to believers in Romans to us, you will find that the will of God for your life is good, and it is. We may not see it. We may not understand it. But the will of God for your life and for my life as Paul is telling us, it is good. Or maybe you are here and you are even skeptical about surrendering your life to Jesus. Well, you can only discern God's will if you surrender your life to Jesus. Ask God to help you to surrender to Jesus. It's a personal prayer that you ask God. I remember back home uh, when I was learning to, to swim or to play in water, whichever way you look at it. So I remember back home when I was learning how to swim. Um, so we did not have, like, you know, swimming schools and everything, but we had, we had a lot of lakes, and the setting was for people to go and swim, just like, you know, level one, if you don't know, this is where you swim. Level two, if you start, you know, the deepest you were going, uh, you go into the water, uh, the more you go further, the more it gets deep. Uh, and that depends on how good you are at swimming. Uh, so what's, what, how we learned to swim, it was just friends. We just decide, guys, let's go. Just as we could decide, let's go and play soccer. Let's go and swim. And of course, the parents didn't know about, about it because the parents were always afraid that, you know, kids can, uh, it's not safe for them to go uh, to, to swim. So I remember when I was learning about swimming, Initially, I was more reserved. I didn't want to, to go into, into the water um, because there was this diving place where it was like five, seven meters above the water and you could just see people standing there and just plunging in the water or diving and jumping in the water. It was beautiful, but it was scary at the same time. So initially, I didn't want to go to the water um, just because it's, it was a bit scary. Uh, but then, as we were just learning how to swim with friends, the minute I was able to play in the water like other kids, um, I started enjoying it. And it was just beautiful when you, stay, you stand five meters and then you just jump into the water, you start enjoying it. And I was now the one who would say, hey, guys, let's go. Let's go swim. Let's go to the water. So what is this all about? So if you are still skeptical about surrendering to Jesus... You won't understand, you won't see how the will of God for your life is good until when you ask him, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I want to give myself to you. Only then, as Paul says, you will understand the will of God and you will see that it's good. You may not see it. It may be hard. You might be going through things. 
But Paul is telling us that it is good, the will of God for your life and for my life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercies upon our lives. We thank you because we were still in the opposition team, but you loved us as we are. And you died on the cross for our sins. And because of what you did for us, we are now part of your family. And reflecting to what Paul is writing here, he urges us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, to surrender completely to you. Lord, my prayer for all of us this evening is that we will surrender completely to you. We will offer our body as a living sacrifice to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you really help us to see you for who you are and to love you because you have loved us and to seek to live for you day after day, week after week and to honor you with our lives. We thank you that we belong to your family. We thank you because the transformation that happens in our lives is not done by ourselves, but it's done by your Holy Spirit. So we really pray, Lord, that you will continue to transform us into the likeness of your Son. And for those who are still skeptical, Lord, we pray that Today will be the day when they ask you, Lord, to invade their lives so that they may get to see you for who you really are and love you. And Lord, as we depart from each other, we pray that you'll continue to keep us under your care, help us to live for you, to witness for you, and to stand for you wherever you have placed us. And may this week that we start may be another great week to all of us as we seek to offer ourselves as living sacrifices for you. And Lord, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with each one of us now until the day when we'll be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.